0: last night, <clears throat> the message was uh, it can look pretty bad and uh, can reverse, which is pertinent to the message this morning. My uh, title is Messiah When, and the Old Testament told us a lot about a coming special person, a lot about him but it also uh that did it ever answer the question when would he come the answer amazingly is yes and that's what we're going to get to this morning but uh, before we do let's pray lord we pray that this morning you'll you'll speak your word over us that you'll Apply it to us by your Holy Spirit. Pray that you will edify your people. Pray that it won't just tickle our intellects, but it will produce in us the appropriate response, which is to worship you. You who are outside of time have told us the end from the beginning and are sovereign over history, and work out your purposes through men and in spite of them. We pray that today we will have a greater respect for the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. There's a thread which ties all of Scripture together, which I call I call a promise seed, and I've preached on it, and it's it's on the website. But it gives you the big picture, tracing the storyline, the meta narrative of the Bible, and it begins with Adam and Eve. In that dark day, in the garden, God had a powwow with the guilty little threesome, and he told the serpent that the seed of Eve would come and deal him a lethal blow, but the seed himself would be injured in the process. He would bruise his head, and you will bruise his heel. This taught taught that the the answer to their predicament, which was, was considerable, was outside of themselves. It lay in a coming one. A promised seed. So things deteriorated from there. God had to wipe the slate clean with Noah, preserving Noah. And Noah became kind of a second Adam in a new world. Uh, Of course, one of the first things Noah did in the new world was get drunk. (laughs) And then things deteriorated from there again winding us up at the Tower of Babel with man exalting himself above God or trying to instead of taking his place under God. And so God wasn't finished with the human race yet. He chose a guy named Abram, an Iraqi, (laughs) and uh, decided, okay, through you, through your seed, all the families of the earth, would be blessed. And uh, Abraham had a son, Isaac, and the promise was passed to him. Isaac had a son, Jacob, Abraham's grandson. My grandson is here this morning. And uh, Jacob, and and the promise was passed to him. And then Jacob had ten sons, and, and out of that came the nation of Israel with whom God entered into covenant. On Mount Sinai. And uh, from which of Jacob's son would this promised seed come? Well, when, J- when Jacob is dying, he prophesies over his, his sons and over Judah. He says this. The scepter, which is the staff of the king shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, his feet until Shiloh, which means the one to whom it belongs, comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Judah would father kings and ultimately the king of kings who would have international influence. So finally, uh, years later, they get a king. First from the tribe of Benjamin, that was Saul. Eh, didn't work. The scepter belongs to Judah. And so they finally get a, a king from the tribe of Judah, David. Was David Shiloh, the one to whom it belonged? No, but through him, through his seed, this promised one would come. He, God said to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, when you're long gone. I will raise up your descendant, or literally seed after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom, promise of a kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. After David was long gone, from his seed would come the forever king, the son of God, who would establish a forever kingdom. David prophesied about this one in Psalm 2 where he says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing, describing our world today? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against Yahuwah and against His anointed, which means Messiah, which in Greek is Christos, where we get the word Christ. They take their stand against the anointed and they say, the battle cry of the garden, the battle cry of humankind since the beginning. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Have you heard that today? <laughs> David's going, yeah, man, every day at the college. He who sits in the heavens is very nervous and wringing his hands. No, he laughs. He's not worried. He's not shaken. He's sovereign. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God has a solution. His king, which he will install. Isaiah prophesied of this coming king, calling him the servant of the Lord, and echoing God's promise to the serpent, this servant would be effective, but wounded. He would be exalted, like only God is exalted, and he would be humiliated. So we know the family from which the coming victorious, regal, promised seed would come. Do we know exactly where he would be born? The answer is yes. God, knowing the end from the beginning, told us in Micah 5, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And later, because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our shalom, our peace. So, he will have his human beginnings in Bethlehem, this tiny little city of David south of Jerusalem. But he is pre existent. His his goings forth are from uh long ago, from the days of eternity. He is a man, but he is more than any man. And to to say he was pre existent is, is something you can only say of God. So his greatness will be recognized internationally. At that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. But does the Bible tell us when the promised seed, the ruler, the anointed one, the Messiah, would come? And that brings us to Daniel. The theme of Daniel is this, reflected in uh, Jacob's song. That always happens. Jacob is always on, (laughs) on the same page. The theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over the affairs of men and He is working out His purposes through and in spite of the most powerful men on earth. He will set up a kingdom which will never pass away. In Daniel 4, it's throughout Daniel, but just to pick one, that the living, here's the lesson, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. If you find yourself a, a leader, a ruler, don't get too big for your britches, stay humble. And that is a message of Daniel. If, for this message, I am indebted to a book that I recently read called "Kingdom Through Covenant" by Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellham. And uh, yeah, I read it. it I started to worship, and I said, this should probably be shared." Uh Daniel chapters 1 to 7 is has a chiastic structure which means it's it's a series of sandwiches. Uh in chapter 2 and chapter 7 you have visions of the kingdom of God, actually four progressive world kingdoms. And then the kingdom of God. In between that sandwich you have the persecution of the people of God. Uh First, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and then Daniel in the lion's den. And it shows that even if you're in a tight situation, God is sovereign over it. And then sandwiched between those are two stories, accounts, narratives, of world emperors being humbled. First, Nebuchadnezzar being put out to pasture like an animal. And then Belshazzar writing on the wall. You have been held in the balance and you have been found wanting. And that's it for him. Showing that world rulers, uh yeah, God is sovereign over them. The kingdom of God rules over the kingdoms of men. God is sovereign over history. As far as the the, the four uh the visions of the kingdom of God occurring in chapters two and seven, the message of these visions is the same even though the metaphor changes from a statue, a metallic statue, you know, head of gold, shoulders of silver, etc., to a uh, a series of four beasts. There are four successive world empires beginning with Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, which to make it more uh contemporary, what what nation is that? Iraq, right? Yeah. Babylon, then you have the Medo-Persians, that's Iran. Then you have Greece, and and finally uh the fourth one is the Roman Empire. They are the uh during the fourth empire God himself would initiate his own kingdom. So even standing back from it it does it tell you when the Messiah would come? Yeah, he would come during the Roman Empire. Just in general. Daniel 2 We've got this statue, and then a stone was cut out with was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's Daniel two. In Daniel seven, you have a series of beasts. And then there's, there comes an answer after these beasts. I saw in the night, it says, uh, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given Dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. When Jesus came, He came proclaiming this kingdom of God, Daniel's kingdom. He He said this is the time, now is the time, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's right around the corner, it's here. This is the time for the kingdom of God to be set up. As uh, Daniel had said, what was the title uh, that, that Jesus used most often of himself in referring to himself? Son of man. He wasn't pointing to his humanity. He was pointing to Daniel. And he was saying, this is the one. I'm the one. The son of man who was presented before the ancient of days and was given a kingdom which shall never pass away. He came announcing that kingdom. He came declaring he was the Son of Man. So Daniel nine, finally, we're there. Daniel nine. Daniel's uh, good brother leaves us a good example. He's reading his Bible. He's praying. And as he's reading his Bible, he d- he realizes he's in exile. You know, he was taken away as a teenager, taken to Babylon, kind of raised in the court, taught, educated in the in the in the Babylonian uh, way and and he he's he's in exile with his people but he's reading his bible and he realizes Jeremiah said there'd be 70 years of exile so he starts to pray uh for that to end now why was it 70 years second chronicles 36 tells us uh he took into exile in babylon good job back there uh those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia or Iran. To fulfill the word of Yahuwah by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So the exile came as a result of the land not enjoying its Sabbath. So the way it worked in the law was you worked the land for six years, and the seventh year you let it rest, and you just lived off the previous six years. But Israel had not obeyed that; the land had not gotten its rest, and so God said, "Okay, I'm going to give the land its rest, and you're going to be in exile for every year that that, you, that it missed." So it took it, for that to happen; it took uh, seventy sevens for, for that for that to to add up, and then seventy years of exile. And interestingly, as you'll see. The time to the solution was 77, or 490 years. There is symmetry. God is sovereign over history. So Daniel starts to pray. And one thing is, he prayed for the exile to end. And so don't be afraid to pray for what you know is going to happen anyway. (laughs) Jesus taught us to pray Thy Kingdom come, it will come, but, but he also taught us to pray for it. So if you take the exile of Daniel to, to Cyrus decreed a return, Daniel was exiled in 606. The temple wasn't destroyed until later in 586. And then Cyrus decreed a return to, uh, to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple was 537, that's 69 years. Or you could take it from the destruction of the temple in 586 to its rededication. After they rebuilt it in 516, that's exactly 70 years. Either way, it confirms Jeremiah's prophecy as coming from one who is outside of time and sovereign over it. Finally, to our text. And I'm going to read it. Uh, This is the the translation from the book that I previously cited, and it's very literal. 77th heard that before, Seventy sevens, or 70 weeks of years, are determined for your people and your holy city to end the rebellion, to finish with sin, and to atone for guilt or iniquity, and to bring in eternal righteousness, and to seal up prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy person or place. So you must know and understand that from the issuing of a word to rebuild Jerusalem, until an anointed one, a leader, are seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with plaza and trench in distressing times. And after the sixty-two sevens, an anointed one, which means Messiah, Mashiach, Christ, Christos, an anointed one will be cut off, executed, killed but not for himself. And the people of the coming leader will ruin and spoil the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with the flood, and until the end war, desolations are what is decided. And he will uphold the covenant with the many for one seven, and at the half of the seven he will cause sacrifice and offering to cease. And upon a wing of abominations is one bringing desolation, and until an end, and what is decided gushes out on the one being desolated. The translation is tricky. The Hebrew is not easy. (laughs) But the the concepts are there. So there's symmetry, as I said before. Uh, You have the 70 weeks of years, which creates the problem. The exile is the chastisement for that. And the solution comes 490 years, or 77s later. Another way to look at the 70, this 490 years, is it's 70 weeks, but it's also 10 jubilees. So they had seven, and then seven sevens. After that, on the 50th year, they would have a jubilee, and the prisoners were, were set free. And it was a big celebration. So it's 10 jubilees. The final, the climactic jubilee, was referred to in uh, Isaiah 61, it was quoted by Jesus. So he comes in at, in the beginning of his ministry to his city of Nazareth. And he says, he, he opens up to this passage in Isaiah intentionally. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the jubilee year. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes were fixed on him. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was claiming to be the anointed one. He was claiming to inaugurate this ultimate jubilee Uh, he was saying, "This is the time." I'm not. Th- th- these guys aren't the only ones to see the cemetery. Matthew in, in chapter one, verse seventeen, says, thus says: "Thus there were fourteen generations from Abraham to David." Right, and then, oh, if you go back from uh, the exile back 490 years, you get to roughly the time of David. See, there's fourteen generations from from Abraham to David. There's fourteen generations from David to the exile. And from the exile to the Messiah, Jesus, there's 14 generations. If you take 35 years per generation and you multiply it by 14 generations, guess what you get? 490. So learn your math because God, God uses it. And my grandkids are hit. I've got to tell them to learn their math. They're doing that. So the 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel, this is it's divided up into three sections. First you have seven weeks. That's when the temple, that's when the, the city is rebuilt. Approximately 50 years, 49 years, right? And then you have 62 weeks where not much is happening. And in the final week, things heat up. The anointed one, the Messiah comes. and And there's a lot of stuff that goes down. Now, the question is, when does the clock start? So you, 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 we know that it's going to be 77s are, de, are decreed, yeah, and it starts from the decree to, to rebuild Jerusalem to, to the coming anointed one. Uh, and so where does the clock start? Well, it's a little tricky because Cyrus told him you, you can return and rebuild the, the temple in 537. Uh, Darius had a similar decree uh, later. Artaxerxes uh, had another decree, commissioned Ezra in 457, and then he he commissioned Nehemiah specifically to rebuild the city walls in 444. And and we know these dates because these guys are are known. I mean, they're known outside of the Bible. Now, the last date actually fits a little better with the text, but in in, uh, Ezra 6, Ezra says, the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So Ezra saw these decrees as, as you know, kind of a unit, and uh, Artaxerxes completed the decree of Cyrus. Now whether you start with 444 or 457, I mean, and you figure for 190 years, you do the math. I remember reading this years ago and thinking, wow, that, that winds you up pretty close to Jesus. And I've, I wondered, why don't the, Jew, the Jews of today, especially the Orthodox who believe the Old Testament, why, why don't they get what that tells them about who Jesus was and is? But I'm going to use 457 because the math works out amazingly, as you'll see. Before I do that, the, the, let's talk about the way Hebrews thought. They didn't think in sequential, linear logic. They didn't write that way, like we do. They they often said things twice. Uh, one, They said it one way, then they said it a little different. And you put the, the two together and you get some texture and some stereo. And much like when our eyes, you know, they're, they're two different... Of course, I'm an eye doctor. There's two different there's two different pictures that you're getting but you're looking at the same object and because it's just a little different you get depth perception and so you can think proverbs we call it hebrew parallelism similarly a lot of times they would they would speak in stereo and they give you speaker left you know right speaker first and then they give you left speaker and then they give you right speaker and then they give you left speaker we Call it a b a b and that's what this that, that's how this passage I think is meant to be uh, read so twenty six verse twenty six a and tw- verse twenty seven a are talking about the messiah and twenty six b and twenty seven b are talking about the city and the sanctuary and I'll demonstrate that there is a textual discrepancy And if you read your pew Bibles, which is ESV. Now, if you've got New American Standard, NIV, King James, New King James, this won't happen. But for some reason, the ESV went with the Masoretic text, which says, Understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, period. Then for 62 weeks. So it looks like the prince is going to come in seven weeks. Of course, 26 says, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. So, the anointed one was hanging around for quite quite a long time that way. Why is that? Why is there this discrepancy? I don't have time to go into it. Um, But the the Masoretes were were Jewish uh, leaders, uh, 700 years after Christ, who I think they saw that this text pointed to Jesus and they actually, actually punctuated it so that it wouldn't. But the Septuagint, which was 200 years before Christ, uh, the uh, Theodosian, Simakas, and the Syriac Peshitta, all give you the reading that I'm giving you and that your other Bibles give you as well. It says that uh, verse, seven, verse 25 says that the Anointed One, the Mashiach, would come... Seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, uh, after the, the, uh, decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Now what is, so that's sixty-nine weeks of years. Sixty-nine times seven is four hundred and eighty-three. So you take, now let's do the math. You take four hundred and eighty-three. This is apologetic, people. I just used it this morning. Uh, You take take 69 weeks times 7, 483 years. You subtract 457, the decree of Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild temple and implied city. That gives you 26. That gives you AD 26. But there was no year zero, so you have to add a a year in there. That gives you AD 27, the exact year as far as we can determine, that Jesus began His public ministry and was anointed with the Holy Spirit at His baptism by John the Baptist. Wow. That's the punchline. I'm going to repeat it. That's the punchline of this sermon. He decreed, God decreed long before, I mean, 600 years, five to 600 years before this happened, he said, four, you know, 483 years from the from the decree, the Messiah is going to come. That's 483 minus 400, 457 B.C., which is Artaxerxes. And that gives you 26. You add a year for the zero year. And that is 27 A.D. And that is the, that is the exact date as far as we can determine to the year. That Jesus, the Messiah, was anointed with the Holy Spirit at His baptism by John. Halfway through that, three and a half years later, after His public ministry, the Messiah was cut off, but not for Himself. He didn't die for His sins. He had none. He died for our sins. Daniel told us that. This book was written by someone outside of time who is sovereign over it ah, okay hallelujah um, so what does it tell us what does this uh this is, see the see the red that's the right speaker, black is left speaker red is right speaker black is left speaker so that that the red tells you about Messiah. After 62 70, he will be cut off, but not for himself. And then also, skipping down to 27a, and he will uphold a covenant with the many for one seven and at the half of the seven. He will cause sacrifice and offering to cease. In Isaiah, Isaiah says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off? Isaiah uses the same word. Out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. It was due to us. He took it. And then it tells us that he will make a covenant with the many. This is likely a reference to the new covenant, which is based on his sacrificial death, which we will celebrate this morning after this message. And at the half of the 70th week, he will cause sacrifice and offering to cease. Why? Why? That is when he was cut off and it was around 31 AD, uh, three and a half years after he began his ministry, he caused sacrificing and offering to cease because he offered the sacrifices to end all sacrifices. He offered himself. He, He said, this is the new covenant in my blood, no longer the blood of lambs, I am the sacrifice. At his death, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Why? The shadow had served its purpose. The real sacrifice had been offered. A way was now made into the real temple made without hands, Hebrews tell us. The tearing of the temple veil at the moment of Jesus' death was a sign that the true sacrifice had been offered, that the temple made with hands was no longer necessary, and it would ultimately be destroyed. And as we know it was in 70 A.D., the second half of these two verses, the left speaker it tells us about the people of the coming the, uh which is the Hebrew for the leader, mentioned in verse 25. It says, they will ruin the city and the sanctuary. I, I think the leader is, you know, it says the Messiah, the leader, and I think it's talking about the people of the coming leader. Uh, but, but you say, well, they, I thought it was the Romans that destroyed the city and the temple. Well, if you read Josephus, you'll understand that the Roman general Titus did not want to destroy the city and the temple. He wanted the sacrifices to continue. But there were three Jewish factions that were fighting, infighting, within the city walls. And they took over the temple and they made it a fortress. And they drank the sacred wine and they melted down the sacred utensils. And Titus pleaded with them, please give up. We don't need to do this. And they refused. And so he, 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 he smashed the whole thing, burned down the temple. And and as Jesus had said, uh not one stone was left on another. Those were those the Jewish Christians had fled because they took Jesus at his word and he had said, When you see the Roman army when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out of there and they did. But it was the Jewish people were defeated because they deteriorated from the inside and they were attacked from the outside. Much like America today. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it all gets done in seventy seventies. It says seven. Now going back to verse twenty four. 70's are determined for your people and your holy city, to end the rebellion, to finish with sin, and to atone for guilt or iniquity, and to bring in eternal righteousness, and to seal up the prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy person or place. Now, is, did they really finish with sin within seventy sevens? Well, that's what the Bible says. The answer is yes. Uh, Hebrews, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. And just as appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Messiah, the Anointed One, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin. Sin's been dealt with. But to save those who eagerly wait for him. Zechariah said, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Beloved, the new covenant says, I will remember their sins no more. He put an end to sin. Eternal righteousness. Isaiah, going back to Isaiah, you should read Isaiah 53 along with this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He dealt with iniquity, atoned for iniquity. Did he bring in eternal righteousness? Well, that's what that's what that's what it says in uh, Isaiah fifty three. Uh, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous righteousness. What is the book of Romans about? The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law and the prophets, but being witnessed to by them. Yeah. When you now have the righteousness of Christ, He He's brought us eternal righteousness. So He sealed up the vision; He fulfilled it. I'm running out of time. He anointed a most holy place or person. It's a weird, weird thing because people are anointed—prophets, priests, and kings—and the and the holy of holies is really what it literally says. That was a place, but what was the tabernacle? It was a tent. With God in it. What was the temple? A building with God in there. Who was Jesus? A human being with God in him. The the word, the eternal word that was with God and was God, became flesh and tabernacled among us, fully God and fully man. He was anointed. So now we want to stand back from this prophecy. Don't miss the forest for the trees. What does it say? The Messiah would come within 490 years. He would be anointed. Sin would be atoned for. Everlasting righteousness would be brought in through the sacrifice of the anointed one, but not for himself, vicarious sacrifice. He would be cut off. Yet his people, the Jewish people, would ultimately ruin the city and the temple, and they would be desolated. Incredible, paradoxical prophecy, and yet that is exactly what happened as it had been decreed by the Ancient of Days. Yes, God is sovereign over history. The kingdom he sets up through the Messiah will never pass away. <laughs> okay. There are Christians, good, well-meaning, good brothers, who say that the 70th week of Daniel hasn't happened yet. Well, they want to rebuild the temple and they want to reinstitute animal sacrifices. Do you know about this? They are waiting for Jesus to return and sit on a physical throne, uh, the throne of David in, in the little city of Jerusalem and set up an earthly kingdom. First, there is nothing, nothing to suggest that the 70th week is not contiguous with the 69. That's the whole context of Daniel. There were 70 years of exile, there were 70 years, 70 weeks of years and all this is, is going to happen. that the stuff went down. It it has happened 490 years as God said it would. The temple made with hands was a shadow of a greater reality, a temple made without hands. The high priest was a shadow of a greater high priest, the Messiah. The sacrifice of bulls and goats was a shadow of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus. The city of Jerusalem was a type and a shadow of a greater city whose builder and maker is God, the new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem which is above, which needs no temple because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple. But when Messiah, the Anointed One, appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of bulls and goats, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant. The throne of David, I'm almost done, was the type and shadow of a much greater throne, the throne of the cosmos, at the right hand of the majesty on high, where Jesus now sits as king until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. So why, if the reality has come, would you go back to the shadows? Why, if the reality has come, would you go back to the shadows? Beloved, the kingdom of God has come. The King has come. The Messiah has come. The stone, the stone has struck the statue. The God of heaven has set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Jesus, the Son of Man, has come, and he has been presented to the Ancient of Days, and, and to him has been given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. That is why He could say to His disciples, All authority in heaven and earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore, make disciples. You are saints of the Most High. Feel like it? You have been given a kingdom Which is a forever kingdom. You've been given it to possess and to extend it. Iraq is temporary. Iran is temporary. United States of America is temporary. There's only, when the dust settles, there only one kingdom that will be left standing, and that is the kingdom of God. King Jesus will reign until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. The stone has hit the statue and is becoming a great mountain which will fill the earth. The mustard seed has been planted. It started small, but it will grow into a great tree. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be exalted over all the other mountains. And the Gentiles, the nations, will flow into it and are flowing into it. As surely as the anointed one came within 70 weeks of years, just as surely it will be said, the kingdom of this world. Has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah. Amen. Will the brothers come? <clears throat> I'm not a surfer dude, but I've surfed. Uh, we have a surfer babe here, but, and, uh, what is the thrill of surfing? It's being picked up by something way bigger than you.